and they are doing well. I am not a pastor or a preacher, so just walk with me this morning as I share with you, okay? Uh, but I think God has something for us. And what I think God wants us to talk about this morning is a continuation of the theme of our worship this morning. God's got you covered. Amen? God got you covered. You are, you, are, you are under the covering of the Almighty God this morning. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. Let's rise on our feet as we take our scripture reading which is Psalm 121. That's our scripture reading this morning, and we're going to read it all together. Um, All right, let's go. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow my feet to be moved. He who keeps me will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade at my right hand. The sun shall not strike me by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve me from all evil. He shall preserve my soul. The Lord shall preserve my going out and my coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And everybody said, you may be seated. So, I just did something. I don't know if you picked it out. Next time you're reading the Psalms or reading the Scriptures, try to personalize it. Try try to put your name in it. Try, Try, because the Scripture is for you, so why say the Lord is going to preserve your? No, 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 no. The Lord is going to preserve my. The Scripture is talking to me. So, I cannot start thinking of another third person. So when you read the scriptures and you see what God is saying, put your name in there. All right? Because what we're going to talk about today is to talk about how God uses his complete package of provision, of coverage, to enable us to walk in this journey called life. Because if he has us covered, we need to know what are those things we can tap into in order to manifest and be at our best in our walk on this part of eternity. And I wanted to use a man of God called Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament to kind of exemplify how that looks like. How that looks like in my life, in our testimonies, how that might look like in your life and in your testimony. And by so doing, walk you through the faithfulness of God, who was, who is, and who lives forevermore. Amen? Hallelujah! So the God we are talking about this morning is not a God that is abstract. It's not a God that is just there. It's not a God that you think about only on Sundays or only when there is a need. No, 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 no. The God we are going to describe this morning is a God that worked in the Old Testament, worked in the New Testament, worked in Clugate, Texas, worked in Fayetteville, Georgia, works in Nigeria, works in Hawaii, works in the Philippines. He's the same God. He's not too big that he cannot take care of every and anything I just put into that bucket. Which includes you and me. Which includes you and me. And when he puts this in the scriptures, it's for us to take. Let me show you something. See this? People call it the billfolder. 
Some people call it a wallet. But look at where it is. It's in my back pocket. Because I'm going to need it someday. So I always put things in my back pocket. I wouldn't need it this morning. We wouldn't need to give offering. So I put my wallet out of my back pocket. So what I'm going to share with us this morning is what you put in your back pocket. When you walk. Because you're going to be needing it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Pastor Angela told me I have two hours to preach today. She said she has not heard me preach for a long time, so take your time. So, so I, I told her, hi, about 30 to 40 minutes. She said, hey, that's okay, 30 to 40 minutes. Okay, yeah. So, so we'll we try. We'll try to do that. So the Bible says in verse 1, Second Chronicles chapter 20, after this, the army of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them beside the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. Hold it there for a minute. Hold it there for a minute. Go back to verse 2. Now, if you, if you ever visited Israel, Kathy and I had the opportunity to do that in 2014. Israel is a four-mile-long country. The north and the south. In the, in the, in the olden scriptures... Israel was in the northern end and Judah was in the southern end. So, in part of the tour, when you go with the tour group, they'll take you through the southern end, which is the old Judah, and they will also take you to Galilee, which is in Israel, in the Samaria end. So, this place called Engedi is, is actually a place that tourists can visit. You will see some people take you there to remind you of Engedi. So, I've seen Engedi. That's the point I'm coming to. There's another place about Engedi. It says it is around the Dead Sea. They didn't put the Dead Sea there. In another translation, you will say that place around the Dead Sea. Because it's towards Jordan, the country Jordan. Now, you probably know why it is called the Dead Sea. Nothing comes out of it. Everything ends there. And, and actually, in the Dead Sea, you float. It's salty. You can't drink the water. Things float. Nobody drowns in the Dead Sea. So... Picture it now. All these nations are coming around Judah because Jehoshaphat in his reign has reestablished the worship of God, has reestablished the things of God, has destroyed idols, has thrown away the Asherah poles, and God was prospering Judah under the reign of Jehoshaphat. And so the enemies around him, what do you think they thought? Okay, let's go shake up this place. This guy is having too much fun. You're doing too well at your job. Oh, your children are doing too good. Oh, you just moved to a new place. There must be something about you that is too good for me to bear. So you will have enemies of prosperity and enemies of your success and enemies that are jealous of you gathered together. They will gather together and they want to trap you in. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. The Bible says no weapon fashioned against you can prosper. No weapon fashioned against you can prosper. That is the fact that no matter what anyone wants to do to you, relax. Relax. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 16 to 17. 
No weapon factor to give to prosper. So the thing they have trapped Jehoshaphat in this region. Verse 3. And obviously, being human, Jehoshaphat got scared. God nervous, started crying, started screaming, like we do sometimes, like I do sometimes. Is there anybody here that starts laughing and clapping when people are about to attack you? Anybody? I mean, do you, is there, I, mean I, I need to know how you do it. That's what I'm asking. So if, if, you, are, if you feel you're under attack, do, do you start, uh, okay, I think it's time to have a barbecue. Let's call people around. No, Jehoshaphat got scared, just as it is for us to get scared. But this is what he did, though, which is what I want us to pick some things from. He said, when he heard the news, no matter what the news is for you, when you hear that news, this is what you do. You run away from God. You say, no, 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 no. This is the time to get all the books in the library on how to deal with this warfare. Is that what Jehoshaphat did? Read it now. Jehoshaphat was so scared and he decided to go away from the Lord. He decided to go seek the Asherah post he has pulled down. He, he decided to go uh, to, the, to the Baal, to, to all the gods and goddesses and start asking them, how do I fight this war? No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says that in the midst of his trouble and fear, he sought the Lord. He didn't just stop that. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. You see why now the 21 dead fast at the beginning of this year was not just a cliche? It's not a routine thing. Oh, we're going to fast for 21, then we'll be doing it every year. No, 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 no. It's not routine. There is a purpose when the leader of the church says we are going to call a fast. Or when you in your own individual warfare decide to proclaim a fast in your family, for yourself, for your co-workers. He declared a fast. And fasting is another topic of his own, which I know Pastor Angela dealt with during the 21-day fast. But the message I want you to take out of this, though, is that fear, anxiety, and panic, it's okay. It's normal. It is only abnormal when it pulls you away from God. Because it's supposed to draw you to God. So do not beat yourself up when you say, okay, why, why am I getting scared now? No, 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 no. It draws you to God and it enables you to proclaim a fast. Which can be anything, but it's supposed to bring you closer to God. Verse 4. So they gathered everybody. Verse 5. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. I'm not reading all of these because you will go through it and you will see that from verse 4 to verse 9, Jehoshaphat started doing what we call intercessory prayers. From verse 5 to 12. You will read it on your own later. He started doing intercessory prayers. And intercessory prayers... It's actually when you become a lawyer or an attorney, a defense attorney. Our son Zeno is a criminal defense attorney in L.A. So, so sometimes when he's, um, 
when he's, when he's talking to dad and mom, he forgets he's talking to dad and mom. He thinks he's in the courtroom. <laughs> and then we have to remind him. We say, Zeno, I'm dad. I'm dad. But, but that's, how, that's how intercessors behave. They, 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 they stay in that place of taking the spot of arguing a case. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing here when he heard the rumor of war and that an attack was coming. He became an intercessor on behalf of the children of Israel. He made a case. I want you to understand this morning that when lawyers are making cases before the judge or before the jury, they don't do anything out of sense knowledge. They don't say, okay, your lordship. So yesterday I was listening to CNN or Fox News. And they said that this is what happened here and that's why I'm here for you to make sure my client goes free because three people in CNN were talking about it. Mm-mm. An intercessor uses facts. A lawyer goes to precedence, quotes the law, quotes the statutes to make a case. That's what is expected of us. The promises and the word that God has put in the scriptures, which we are going to mention as we go on this morning, that I said you should put in your back pocket, you need them. When you are talking to God, when you are in that spot, when you are in that place, when you are in that confused set, when you do not know what else to do, and you now take that role of an intercessor. I'm going to pray for me, I'm going to pray for my wife, I'm going to pray for my children, I'm going to pray for my job, I'm going to pray for my ministry. You become an intercessor and you bring out these promises, one pocket from another. And you are reminding God of his ways, his words, and what he has done in the past, and how he's faithful, and how he's the same yesterday and forever, how he's famous for what he does best. Remember the song we sang this morning? You become an intercessor based on his promises. Not based on what you think. The Bible says, trust in the Lord always, and lean not on your own understanding. Because the arm of flesh will fail you. The arm of flesh will fail you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even trust myself. Well, let me tell you one of the promises I want you to look at today. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. It's probably not in your notes because I got that this morning when I was praying. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Put it out, please. One of these promises I want you to do. Mark chapter 16. Remember we are talking about God has you covered. Mark 16 verse 17 to 18. Take about this promise. Mark 16, 17 to 18. All right. Okay, good. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Verse 18. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Let's read that again. So that, no, verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. This is a promise now. How many of you believe here? Raise up your hand. Let me count. I hope I'm able, I'm, I don't want to count. Good, good, put it out. This sign will follow you. That's a promise. 
In the name of Jesus, you will cast out demons. That's, that's a promise for you. Whatever that demon looks like in your situation and circumstance, the Bible says in the name of Jesus, because you believe, you will cast that demon out. Whether it's the demon that is trying to oppress or obsess, you have the power to cast it out. That's a promise of God. Does God keep promises? Yes, of course. Does this sometimes look as if he didn't keep his promises? Yes, of course. But does that change the fact that he keeps his promises? No! I just said three profound things. Verse 18. They will take up serpents. When they take anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In 2019, I'll tell you a story. In 2019, I was getting ready for our daughter's wedding. And you know when your daughter is going to get married, um, you, you, you're, the, you're the dad, so you've got to kind of look good, prepare well. And so um, I had been seeing an eye doctor prior to that in 2018 because for some reason my eyes started acting up. My right eye started acting up. was beginning to lose sight in my right eye. So because my daughter's wedding was coming, I said, no big deal, just go see a doctor. I switched ophthalmologist. Ophthalmologist is an eye doctor. Switched to a new doctor, and he said, let's start all over again about the drops you are using for the eye. They said the pressure in my eye was high. They said I had glaucoma. They said I was going to be blind if I wasn't careful in my right eye. So, okay. Omoye, that's her daughter's name. It's getting married next year. So I said, okay, I can't afford to make a, a fool of myself and start doing a major surgery in my right eye preparing for the wedding. So we're just going to handle it gingerly. <laughs> so this new doctor started putting new eye drops for me. I was injecting my eye almost every week. Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. Every week I will be injecting my eyes. I didn't let my wife know because I didn't want her to feel the pain that I was injecting my eye every week. I'll go quietly and inject. By the time I come home in the evening, everything is fine. I was struggling. So finally it became obvious that the pressure was not going to come down. So they said, okay, we're going to do a little surgery. They're just going to put a little hole in my eye and put what they call uh, a drainage tube so that the pressure will come down because there's too much fluid in there. Now, this testimony is because of Mark chapter 16, verse 18. So, we were able to put off the surgery of the putting a shunt till after the wedding. So, as soon as the wedding took place, and nobody knew that every hour or so I was going to the bathroom and put an eye drop. I said, okay, let's do the surgery. Simple surgery that shouldn't, it's a no-brainer. Every eye doctor does it, they call it. So they put the shunt. And within a week, my whole eyes was red like this. So I called the doctor and he said, Oh, that's expected. Just, just put more prednisolone. 
So I'm recovering from the surgery. And then I get a phone call that my mom just passed. My mom I spoke to the previous day. I said, okay. <laughs> so, um, Kathy, my wife, uh, when the news came that my mom had passed, uh, I said, Kathy, they said, Mama has passed. She said, okay. Then I said, okay, I'm sleeping. <laughs> she said, no, you can't sleep. You wake up, you can't sleep. <laughs> How can you say your mom passed and then you go to sleep? I said, I'm fine. So, they, everybody came to the bedroom with my eyes, with mom passing, all of this happening, big deal. We had to go for mom's funeral in Nigeria. For those in Nigeria, you know what that looks like. So I came back from the funeral, and the day I landed in Atlanta, I went blind on my right eye completely. So I picked up the phone, and I called the eye doctor. I said, I can't see. I just came back from Nigeria. He said, come over quickly. And they did more surgery, more blah, blah, blah. Cut long story short, my right eye didn't get better. It was still red. So, fast forward, my son, he's LA, was preparing for his wedding. But my eyes were still red. So I said, okay, God, you're going to just help. We're just going to go through this wedding and uh, we'll finally take care of this. So we're able to hold on to the wedding, putting drops every hour, and the wedding went well. And then, our son Zeno was to go for this overseas plan. And Kathy and my wife lost to travel, so she decided she was going to go to Rwanda with our son for his school run. That's how she does her school run. Uh, she goes there all over the world with them. So that week they were all going, it was just me alone. Um, I'm a doctor, okay? Just to help you understand where I'm coming from. So I'm coming back from work. It's night. And I realized I was in the wrong lane. So I have actually become blind. So I, I quickly picked up the phone, called a friend, and I said, this doctor I've been seeing for six months, I'm going to go see her again. And, um, and she said, oh, the, the shunt they place is clogged up. They need to take it out and do another surgery. I said, no, you're not going to do another surgery. Uh, they said uh, I should go and get a second opinion. So I said, okay. I called another institution, Emory University. It's our main university in Atlanta. Called a friend there who somehow was able to put it together for me to see an eye doctor the day Kathy was coming back from Rwanda. She landed in the airport in Atlanta, and I told her I'm at Emory. With her two suitcases, she drove to Emory. The doctor checked everything. He said, there's nothing wrong with your eye. I said, no, I can't see. What do you mean? <laughs> he said, I've checked everything. I said, but the eyes are red. He said, yeah, I see it, but I don't see anything wrong. I said, okay. So what am I supposed to do? I can't see. He said, well, let's just start all over again. Start all the drops again. Two weeks into using his drops, it didn't get better. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Sometimes it may not just be laying of hands. Sometimes it may be 
a messenger somewhere that you didn't know of that will come and say, this is how this needs to be taken care of. So, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm following the principles of healing, but my eyes are not getting better. I'm speaking things into being. My eyes are not getting better. But one thing I realized, though, the devil will be whispering in my ears. You see all those patients you see, those that are blind from diabetes, those that are blind from this. Maybe this is just God's will for you that uh, you need to feel, feel what they feel so that you can take care of them better. So, so when I'm seeing a patient in the clinic and I see one of the blind like that, I say, okay, okay. Then, then I, will, I will say, no, 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 that's not God's promise for me. Then I'll go back again, I would walk around, I'll pray, I'll speak in tongues. So one day, this is where the miracle started. One day, one of my colleagues said, Philip, your eyes have been red for six months. What are you doing about it? I said, you only want to know the story? I have seen a bunch of doctors. They all claim there's nothing wrong. He said, yeah, but there's something wrong. You can't see. Your eyes are red. Um, why don't we... I used to have a friend in medical school. I have not seen this friend in 35 years. This is the friend talking to me now. He is one of the top 10 doctors in the world with eyes. So I'm listening to him. I said, okay, this is top 10 doctors in Duke that deals with eyes. And you think you will just pick up the phone and tell him you have a friend called Philip. Can he see you? He said, I don't know. I mean, last time I saw him was 35 years ago in medical school. So I'm just going to send him an email and say, I have a friend called Philip. Can he see him for me? I said, really? We're not going to go through the referral, the this, the this. He said, no. Sends an email. Somebody he has not spoken to or seen in 35 years. Sends an email. And the guy replies him and says, Okay, can you ask Philip to come and see me tomorrow? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Let me tell you. The, the day I went to see him, Kathy didn't even believe it was happening. She said, you can ask her. I said, I'm going to Duke tomorrow. He said, what for? I said, the eye doctor is going to see me. He said, no, you can't. Be. I said, no, I'm going. If he says I should come, I am going. This is not a guy you see regularly. I went to Duke. And I saw him. He did all the tests. Repeated all the tests. And he said, you need surgery. And it's going to be next week. I said, what do you see? He said, well, your pressure is high. That's why your eyes are red. But all the surgery you've been doing is not the surgery I would do for you. I'm going to go back to the surgery we did in the 50s and in the 60s. Excuse me, in these days of technology, you're taking me back? <laughs> he said, yes, that is the answer to your problem. The healing of my eyes came from an unknown source who God put in his brain to go back to surgeries of 50 years ago. That is why I don't wear glasses now, and that's why I can read. That is a promise of God. 
that you will be healed. That you will be healed. Let's go back to our main test. Second Chronicles. That's one of the promises of God that you will be healed. And we were reading from verse 13. That's what we'll be doing now. Okay. So watch this. In the time Jehoshaphat was gathering the children together, talking about this intercessory time, talking about this call for coming together, look at the people that were in the crowd. Little ones that you saw this morning, talking about how they love their dad and what daddy means to them. This is family day, so it's nice to see the kids in the house. Little ones, their wives, their children, and men, they all stood before the Lord like we are doing today. That we all, we know that the God we serve hears and answers prayers. Do not, do not shield your children from hearing the word of God or being part of worship and praise. Verse 13. Jehoshaphat did not excuse anybody from coming to hear what he had to say about what he was dealing with. Because God has a way of ministering to every one of us at our level. So we must try as much as possible not to become the Holy Ghost in the lives of our children or in the lives of our people. You want to help God do what He only Him can do. Remember the song, You Do What You Are Famous For? Sometimes I get into His way. I'll say, God, I know you're doing what you are famous for, but can I help you? <laughs> verse 21. Let's go fast to verse 21. So, this is what happened. After they finished praying, God gave them a specific instruction on what to do. You can read it later. He said, all I need you to do is to set people up that will praise God ahead of the world. Look at it. When he had consulted with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of the holiness. And they went out before the army. They went out before the army. They went ahead of the army. Do you know why there's always praise and worship before the sermon? You think again it's, it's, it's a routine? No, it's not a routine. Praise and worship brings down the desired anointing. So when you're coming to church and you are missing the most important part, you say, oh, I'm just going to make sure at least I get it to the sermon. You have missed a very critical part of the church service. Worship and praise precedes every battle, every word. Even in your own personal devotion, you will know that worship and praise is good for you. So God told them, go ahead, sing ahead, and you don't even have to fight a battle. Just go and sing and sing and sing, and you will notice at the end of that scripture, you will notice that when they sent the spies to go see what was happening, they saw them fighting against each other. Because of what had happened preceding. Let me tell you what happened before that victory. There was an attack. Like each and every one of us we go through in any way at our own level. Number two, the attack 
brought everybody together to seek the Lord and ask him for directions. Number three, the Lord told them what to do, which is go ahead and worship me. And I will show myself mighty on your behalf. And number four, he gave them victory without their doing anything. I didn't pay arm and leg to the specialist doctor at Duke for the surgery he did. I didn't get multiple referrals. That's what happens when God is in your business. <laughs> he takes care of things for you. He makes things well for you. You become who he says you are because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. First John chapter 4 verse 4. You are an overcomer in all of the things you are going to deal with. These are the promises you put in your back pocket. Even when you see the people attacking you. I'll give you this story now. Um, so in my role, um, I work with other executive members in the hospital. So for the past year or so, I have two people who just don't like me. So every time we are in a meeting, because I have a big mouth, you have noticed I have a big mouth. Uh, so um, I always have an opinion. And if, if you've been in boardrooms and executive meetings, and you are just one of a kind in the group, they really don't want to hear you, they want to see you. But I, sometimes I have to tell myself, don't, don't say it, Philip, don't say it. Well, sometimes I, I, I say it. I mean, somebody has to say it. And I get into trouble. I just, I just wound myself up in a web. So these people don't like me. Everybody knows they don't like me. I know they don't like me. So, <laughs> so, so I pray every time I'm going to walk. So God, at the meeting today, please... Just help me to be still before you. <laughs> Even when I pray that prayer, it still don't work because I will still have to say something at the beginning. <laughs> and the things I say always counters what they are saying. So we're talking about the budget now of how to help with nurses shortage. And somebody is talking about, oh, we're already running a deficit. Then I will come in and I will say, yeah, if you don't have the doctors and nurses, you won't have patients in this hospital. Totally counter to, <laughs> counter to the finance people try to save money. So, they have a way of mentioning it to the top executive at corporate. They will say, well, Philip, Philip doesn't want to hold the doctors accountable. He always lets them do what they like. And then obviously, the heavy movers will send a note down. Okay, Philip, I want you to give me an action plan for the length of stay that is less than three days so that uh, we know how we can close this budget gap in the next three months. I said, okay, I know where that is coming from. I know where that instruction is coming from. Somebody has told you that at a meeting, I said so, so, and so. So the way to get back to me is to put up an action plan. I don't like these two people. But I have to work with them. Alright? So, every now and then, they will bring us for a, 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 a kumbaya meeting. Okay, you got to learn how to work in teams. You know, you can't be in silo. You got to work together. So, last, last six months in January, 
the rubber met the road. There was no way we could work together. I mean, it was obvious. We don't agree. So uh, they set up this uh, executive training program to teach me how to work as a, in a team. <laughs> so, um, so I went for the training, and then um, there is this uh, test they do. I need to know my personality so I know how to work. <laughs> so I did all the tests. And I came back really more educated. That's okay. This is why you do what you do. Okay, it makes sense now. And this is why I do what I do, so it makes sense now. Well, this is the moral of this story. I was praying that God should take them away from my life. <laughs> because I, it came to a point, I said, no, 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 it's not worth it. All right, because everybody kept saying, I have to work with them. Not that they have to work with me, I have to work with them. So I said, okay, God. I'm going to work with them as much as I can, but my real prayer is that they leave. And last week, they both resigned. <laughs> Psalm 105. <laughs> put it up, put it up. They think I'm kidding. Psalm 105, verse 14. Psalm 105, verse 14. I'm talking to you about promises. He, he doesn't want to put it up, okay. Anyway, that, that psalm says, Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. I pray that prayer over these two people. Because sometimes you have to be aggressive and God gives you the opportunity to make sure whatever you have as part of your weaponry, you use it in this journey. Whether it's at work, or it's at home, or anywhere. The promises of God are yea and amen. The promises of God are yea and amen. You have victory in Jesus' name. Do not be afraid, ladies and gentlemen. You need a mindset in this walk. You need a mindset. And I want to just quickly run through some of the mindset I want to encourage you to have. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why? Because when you praise God and you rejoice, you notice what I told you, it brings the desired anointing of God into your space. It helps you see things in a different perspective. It doesn't mean what you're dealing with is not there. It just means that somehow you have taken it away from you and you have said, okay, I'm leaving it for you, God. It's no longer my business. I'm going to rejoice because greater are you that is in me than he that is in the world. It's a mindset. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. But in verse 8, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Why? Because that is where you get the promises and the things that God has said he will do for you. Don't take it away from your mouth. Meditate on it all the time. Because when you meditate on it, this is what happens to you. Your ways will be prosperous and you will have good success. It is part of the promises of God you should put in the back pocket so that when somebody is going to stop you from reaching your destiny or reaching your victory, you say, no, 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 no. God says, because I have been promised this word, I have been meditating on this word, this is mine to take. In Psalm 121, our main scriptures, verse 3 to 5, which we read this morning, Psalm 121, verse 3 to 5. 
you will see where it says, God will not allow your foot to be moved. You, you heard the story of my colleagues at, at corporate? Yeah, instead of they are moving my feet, God moved their feet out. <laughs> they were trying to move my feet by writing things about me. They're all right. God who keeps Philip will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps your servos, neither slumber nor sleep. So I can chill because the greater one is not slumbering or sleeping concerning me. The Bible says they will gather but not in my name. So let them gather, let them plan. God's promise is they cannot touch me. God is my keeper. Ha! Ah! I'm getting excited now. <laughs> I'll tell you something though. That whatever it is you have in your hands, whatever it is you have in your hands, is what God typically will use. So you don't have to be creative and you don't have to be who you are not. You have to be authentic. You come to Him as you are. But when you come to Him as you are, you have to accept what He's telling you to do though. You have to. Okay? What you do not know is that on my right leg, I have 11 screws and 2 plates. Because some time ago, I was trying to do Christmas decoration for the kids, and I fell from the top of my ceiling and shattered my right ankle. And I have bone chips, bone fragments, and... and um, but I had to go see a surgeon to do the surgery... I had to stay away from moving. I learned how to use crutches. I learned how to walk. It took three months. I learned how to use a wheelchair and a scooter. I told God to heal the leg because there was a time I thought I couldn't walk again. I would never walk again. But in bringing all of those things to God and telling Him how I felt and how frustrated I was, I still needed him to do what he would do with the uncle. Which means, call 911. Two, go to the ER. Three, let them call the orthopedic surgeon on call. Four, go to the OR. Five, go for rehab. Six, go through the pain for three months taking percocets. <laughs> he does the impossible with what you have. Don't pretend to God. But be ready to walk with him, though. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? People talk about it. Oh, God, they gathered and they were sitting down. And then after the preaching, Jesus said, Oh, uh, they are so hungry, now let's feed them. No, 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 that's not what happened. Okay? He had finished preaching and the disciples came to him and said, Ah, it's been a long day, Lord. Ah, these people have really stayed here for all day listening to you. They need to go home, but some of them on their way home, we pass out because they've not eaten all day. By the way, we don't even have enough money if we want to order for pizza right now. It's not going to get here because we are far away. Then Jesus said, what do you have anyway? Did anybody bring a snack lunch just for himself and his family? Yeah, yeah, that little boy. 
brought some uh, five loaves and two fishes. It's just for five of them, though. You remember we have 5,000 people here. Complain, obstacles, excuses. All God is asking you to do is bring to you what you have. The little boy brought his five loaves and two fishes. The Bible didn't say God created a bakery there. No. He says he took the five loaves and two fishes. Piece by piece, everybody ate until they were full. From five loaves and two fishes. The Bible didn't say he multiplied the five loaves and two fishes. Read it. He didn't say he multiplied it. He said he broke piece by piece from the five loaves and two fishes. He took what they had and made it sufficient for them. Okay, you would think it was magic. No, it wasn't magic because the Bible says they gathered 12 baskets, which means five loaves and two fishes was real. 12 baskets couldn't have been filled up if it was a story for the ages. Whatever you have, he will use it. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. But you got to believe, though. You got to believe that you're covered. That this is about him being God on your behalf. And that he has his name and his glory at a greater risk than you. God has his name to guard jealously more than you. So relax. Lean on him. Don't help him do his job. Don't help him be God. He's too big. If anything is going to happen, you can't guard God. You can't guard his name. He, he, he will take care of himself. He said the battle is mine. All we're supposed to do is lean on him and trust him. And when the cockballs of life come, we go into his world and take some of these promises and walk in that understanding. And he will help you through that understanding. Whatever that may be, whatever that may be, whatever that may be, you got to trust that God is still God. So, Father's Day today, I wanted to end by letting you know that everything that comes to you, God is fully aware of. And that the victory that was on the cross is still the victory today. And that you can be rest assured in Romans chapter 8, 35 to 39, that even if you start feeling unsure of what is going on around you today, nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword. Because the Bible says in verse 36, as it is written, God was taking on our account for all of this. Verse 37. Yet in all these things, you are more than conquerors. Through him who loved you, you are more than conquerors. You can take that, put it in the back of your pocket. Nothing, not death, not life, not ages, not principalities, not things you're seeing now, not things you cannot see that will come tomorrow. Hey, not death, not hide, not anything created, nothing shall separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You can believe that, you can trust that, ladies and gentlemen. Let us pray this morning that these words will remain with us today 
and tomorrow and forever. I want to end by praying this priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 verse 24. Please put that up. Let's rise. I feel we should pray this prayer since we're having Father's Day today. I want to pray this prayer over every one of us. Hallelujah. Pastor Angela, I'm finishing as you can notice. I think I did it in 40 minutes. Numbers chapter 6 verse 24. Oh, hallelujah. Numbers chapter 6 verse 24. Okay. Raise up your hands, everyone. Now, remember how I said we should pray prayers? Okay, let's go. The Lord bless me and keep me. The Lord make his face shine upon me and be gracious to me. The Lord lift up his countenance upon me and give me peace. In Jesus' name, amen.